Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And yet, and yet if, if I can jump in there, and yet if we listen more deeply or hear more deeply, right? Whichever word, you know, for, for whomever is listening connotes the deeper, you know, listening or hearing. If we listen to that cancel culture, if we listen, if we take on what we're talking about and really listen and hear what people are saying, what they're saying, I, I think what I'm hearing is I'm angry. I'm afraid. I feel like I haven't had a shot. I'm afraid you're not going to give me a shot. Yeah. I want I want to shut you down because I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And so all of a sudden we when we listen or hear deeply in that way, I do when, when I when I take that on. Usually usually I find that where is where there is anger there's pain. When there is rage there's fear. And so that gives us access to something in being able to connect with people instead of the, you know getting affronted by and the anger and the rage and the rawr and the craziness, we can go, wow, that person seems to be, because again, we never want to make assumptions, that person seems to be really hurt. That person seems to be really afraid. That person's gone through something. I wonder what he or she has gone through. What what has he or she gone through? Let me listen to that. And then, as you know, the storytelling of what we've been through, something loosens every time we tell it, when we tell it from a cleaning the space kind of way. So I think that's part of the challenge in relationships or in your, you know, to the, back to my, my Twitter trigger. Um, you know, I think that we, 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 we often respond to what people are saying rather than what they're saying. How you day, how you day. So we are talking about your voice today. Now I've said before that our voices are our most underutilized asset. And I really love Jennifer and what she stands about because she dove into her background and how she found her voice when she lost her voice. (laughs) Pun, sorry, you know, I couldn't resist. But seriously, this is more than just uncovering who you are. It's also giving you tools and helping you reframe the way you see the world, the way you connect with people, and just a psychological lesson about our humanity. That's what it is. It's a psychological lesson about her humanity. And Jennifer is so gracious with how she gives her time to people so that they can discover the full breadth of who they are. My goal is that you all are doing the same for yourself as you listen to this episode. And you all are asking yourselves those deep questions that can uncover and unearth some of the things that have been hidden in you for such a long time. Hope you enjoy the episode. And I hope you look into her book. She's got so many Check them out, and I love you. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Jennifer Hamdi. Jennifer is a voice consultant and board-certified therapist specializing in technical and emotional issues that interfere with self-expression. We're all about expression here on the show. With offices in New York and Washington, D.C., Jennifer works in private practice with musicians and others to discover, develop, and confidently release their personal, professional, and performance potential. We were talking about my performance potential earlier before the show, but here's something that's even more impressive about uh, Jen here is her clients include Grammy and CMA award winners, contestants on The Voice and American Idol, and performers that have been on the Emmy and Tony Award winning productions, as well as corporate clients. So she has a span and a wide array of industries that she works across. We're going to be talking about how to really develop your true voice, and maybe we'll tap into how to learn how to sing, but this is really a transformative approach to apply to vocal uh, performance as well as expression. 
welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you. Well, the pleasure is mine. The pleasure is mine. And and just for context for the audience, uh, uh, Jen and I are on, under the same. We have the same speaking manager. Is that what we say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking <laughs> manager. Missy. Yes, we yes, do. Fabulous Missy. And and Missy has has been so kind to introduce us. But uh, the amazing thing about what Jen does is that she has used this instrument that many of us use on a regular basis without actually understanding uh, what we're, you know, the power that it has. And she's used this instrument to really show people that they can tap into a greater form of expression. And I, I, I want you to sort of take us down this journey, this biographical journey as to how you found your voice and how you let other people do the same. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, probably like most people, the story can be long or short. So I'll give you the, the middle of the road version. Um, I, I I have been singing my whole life since I was a little girl, and um, at one point when I went to college, what had always been very um, intuitive and natural for me, I'd never taken any lessons, uh, became very confusing. I started uh, working with a voice teacher who told me to forget everything I ever knew about singing and to kind of learn intellectually and in a compartmentalized way how to, to make this instrument function. And the long and short of that is it didn't work. Uh, what had always worked stopped working. Um, and then my the next few years were me saying, you know what, let me let me put aside all of that and get back to or refine, rediscover my voice. And then I went on to have a, a wonderful career singing professionally, backup for different artists and doing different things. Um, and while I was doing that, I, I started also giving some master classes and, and answering questions and working with singers. Uh, who had also had this trouble with kind of losing their voice, voice struggles. And so in that sense, I'm very grateful that I'd had that experience because it let me really physically and personally empathize with this experience of, I have a voice, it's totally, you know, automatic and intuitive. And then all of a sudden it's gone. So um, then after I had my, 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 my family, I more full-time started transitioning into helping people in that way. Uh, Kind of rediscover their voices or find them for the first time yeah. uh, and then wrote books and I write articles and like you I I uh, speak to people and speak with people about this and it's it's my my passion and my joy and uh yeah I'm I'm a, I'm a lucky gal <laughs> yeah, you're joie de vivre and it's uh and it's funny and you're, you're based in DC now so you get a lot of this transient nature where you see many people who have not only different accents but they come from different cultures and they approach voice probably in different ways. And I'm always interested in that cross-cultural element. You know, you being a counselor as well, have you noticed that depending on who you talk to, some people have this inner dialogue with their heads about, you know, within their heads about how to use their voice or whether the voice even matters? Well, that really, that's such an interesting question because yes, we're in DC. And before that I was in New York for 10, 15 years and both play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> NYC. And I still get up there all the time to see clients. And, um, and both places, to your point, you have people from all over the world. So one thing that's been very interesting to me um, on the voice side, but certainly also as a therapist, is to remember that when you're trying to help someone, um, be, sorry to sound sort of hokey, but become their best selves, uh, people become their best selves or to help them really find and use their voice optimally. There is a technical part of that, but so much of it, of course, is given by your personal preference, your culture. Mm -hmm. So yeah. things like, for example, um, to kind of round out the answer to your question, you know, I'll, I'll have people come to me from um, companies. They'll say, you know, as a woman, I want to be much more effective and I want to go in and, and lead in the room. Um, but that may not the same way I might help someone from America or the United States of America, at least, um, is very different than how it works when I've worked, for example, with Japanese executives. Um, or, for example, um, I can come up with there's so many examples, but you're you're highlighting something so important, that, which is there are technical uh, there are technical things you look for in any instrument to operate uh optimally, but you really have to honor and respect the cultural and personal preferences of what people want to bring to the table. So, and to ask, how do I help them make their maximal impact in the way they want, not necessarily in the way I want, or that is given by my own culture or right. preference or 
uh, whether it's unconscious or conscious. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And, and it's fascinating to me because one of the things I love to do is just study psychology. Uh, and in, if we're marrying your two passions here, the psychology is singing, uh, you know, uh, let's talk about that. Well, when you watch a show like The Voice, you watch a show like American Idol and you see how people prepare or how people go on the show, I imagine you watch it probably differently from the way I do. I'm like, get on team. <laughs> <laughs> team Usher, if it's there, or, t- <laughs> or Team Adam Levine when he used to be there, or all, all those things. And I'm thinking about that. But are you looking for different things? Do you, are you able to spot certain singers on stage and know, oh, no, he's not going to do it, or he, she's in the head, or they are doing something differently from what they initially said? Are you able to see those things? Yeah, well, that's such an interesting question because I, I don't know if I if I mentioned this, but I I sang back up on American Idol for one season for Hollywood Week, and so it was, um, which is of course shaped the way that I watch those types of shows, and so I had this amazing opportunity to be literally not only backstage but on stage with these young men and women as they went up and kind of you know into this amazing terrifying experience, um, so. I think what I noticed when I when I watched then and when I watch now is um, I see I'm really aware of how I think the people who are most successful on the show really navigate well um, the nerves that necessarily come and they've figured out a way to channel that and like use it they sort of to ride ride that wave as opposed <laughs> to kind of fight it and the audience and so. Yeah. Of course, there there are probably exceptions to that rule, but I think anytime, whether it's American Idol or The Voice or or any performance I'm watching, I usually can tell from the beginning. And I, I do try to be objective and really enjoy the experience, not to have my you know voice coach and counselor filter out all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really find myself going, oh great, you you know you're doing it. You're really you're being present. You're bringing your best self. You've knocked the wall down between yourself and the audience. You're you're using that energy. Um, and I, I have a lot of compassion and empathy when I see people like, oh, it looks like you're you're fighting it, fighting it. Yeah. Let it go, let it go, let it go. You know, yeah. <laughs> be with us, be with us. It's okay. You're all right. You're safe. <laughs> it, it, it's just so funny. I brought those shows up because of the contrast where with the voice, the judges are turned to, you know, their backs are turned. And then with American Idol, it's the other way around, uh, the traditional yeah. way. And yeah. I, I do wonder if you can have something and, you know, prepped, you know, I, I know this happens to me on stage sometimes. And then you see someone and the intimidation of maybe someone having power to give you access to something affects how you use your voice. And it's just an interesting psychology that I've tried to to uh, apply and observe within the, con- the context of what I do across cultural consulting. And I'm wondering sometimes where people will be confident in one environment and then they get in here and the imposter syndrome just sets in. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious about that. And, and, and yeah, and I don't know the answer yet, but I just, I, something I've noticed, I just uh, trying to figure out the psychology of how that happens and what triggers those moments sometimes. So well, I feel like I'm starting every answer with that's such a great question. And I really actually mean it. Oh. You, you just said this amazing mouthful. I'm like, oh, there's like five different things you said that I yeah, really. Please want. say all the five different things. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know everything because this is really something that I'm curious about. I am not <laughs> kidding. Yeah, I wake up thinking about these stuff, uh, these things. Well, let me preface this, of course, by saying that I'm obviously one opinion. And so, you know, take it or leave it. But I think that um, so to your remind me about the imposter syndrome thing. But to your first point about um, kind of crafting speeches, how you said something to the effect of you you have something you want to bring, but then someone in the audience kind of has a reaction that, that either encourages you or shapes you. Um, and I should say, just for your audience, that I did have the chance to see Tayo speak last weekend, and you're, you're amazing. And so you do it. For a guy who wakes up thinking about it, it's clearly working because you do such a great job. But, oh, no, thank you so much. Wow, thank you. <laughs> but uh, so to, to that point, something, and I think about this a lot, too, because I do have people that come to me with, like, TED Talks they're going to give, and they have it memorized, and they're going to practice it. Um, I think each person has to figure out, as I know you have, and we are both together as, you know, we, we as people who give speeches, you have to find your own rhythm. Some people do very well memorizing their content and then having the freedom because it's so known to then kind of riff a bit giving on, given by what's going on in the situation. Other people, myself included, I mean, I certainly can memorize things, but I find that I'm so, um, usually positively impacted by the people. I really 
you know, am trying so hard. I love connect, really feeling what the audience uh, is giving and asking in their languageless expression that I try to kind of have a sense of what I've been asked to speak about to really have without any memorization, just really know what it is I want to share. And I trust myself. I trust the process. And I really spend most of my time really listening for what they're asking with or without words. Um, So I think so that in that sense, some people are comfortable being affected, as you said, by the reactions, whether it's like, okay, wait, I'm not listening to her. I'm going to get on my phone, which is information, right? Okay. Hey, so maybe that's just what they do, or maybe I'm boring. (laughs) Or, you know, if someone sits up a little bit, when I say something that I thought was not that important, I'm like, okay, that's, they're into that. Let me, let me go that way. Um, so that's one part. And then to your other part about the imposter syndrome, and please interrupt me if I'm uh, going off on some random tangent. You know, you mentioned something, I think you said, we'd have to rewind the tape, but you know, how do you have confidence? Um, I think that, um, as a, having been a performer for a long time, as you know, and then also speaking, I'm very comfortable with the idea. And this is my experience that I always will get nervous. I always get nervous. It's the funniest thing. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, I've met a couple people that don't, I mean, but there it's really rare. And I think a couple of them aren't totally telling the truth, but I mean, I know that there are some people who don't, but I know it's coming and Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't love it always because it usually gets me in my head a little bit, um, but I, I don't fight it. And I think that's the biggest thing is knowing that there's a difference between having confidence and uh, a love of yourself and, the, you know, a real commitment to what it is you want to contribute. Yeah. And the feelings that come up about yourself when you're about to go on stage, which is just that kind of voice, that blah, 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 blah voice, which is you rarely has anything good to say. <laughs> That's so interesting because I heard Simon Sinek say something about nerves and excitement. He said they're essentially the same emotion. It's about how you reframe them. And for me, I've noticed that with myself. It's I will, you know, I I always appear confident on the stage because people will say you're not there. But I don't necessarily have uh, those type of nerves where I feel like I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. It's for some reason, you know, if I haven't, if it's a new topic, for example, or if it's something that, if it's an audience I'm not too familiar with, I notice things happen to me. And I, the most nervous I've ever been for speeches have been when one time I was given a TEDx talk and I lit- literally came up with a topic that week because <laughs> they didn't like the other topic and, uh, and I was freaking out <laughs> because people that I knew were going to be in the audience and I was, yeah. so I was doing pushups and everything, but I got on stage, no one knew anything, but I remember feeling so nervous and wondering what that was. And for some reason, I think I've internalized the idea of if you're nervous, you have to perform. I, maybe it's because of my uh, Nigerian culture or you just, Sometimes you have to suppress some emotions. They're good and bad things to that. Yeah. <laughs> but I just always say, oh, it doesn't matter. Chip my shoulder. Um, and there has been a moment where I have bombed. Um, and I, I, I could tell that they saw it, uh, but I sort of played it off and I just mm-hmm. put my head down and went on, went off. And that was when I don't normally like reading uh, my speeches, but I, I didn't have enough time to prep. And then I printed it out. Uh, and what I didn't realize was it printed front and back. And so oh, as I was, no. yeah. And so as I was reading the speech, I went to the next page and I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> and so I start, I started freestyling and I could just see their eyes glaze over, but I kept saying a bunch of random things and I went and I could see some disappointment in, in the guy that, that invited me. And, um, it really led me down to this preparation thing. It's, that's one of the best ways to handle nerves, but also accepting the fact that you said that your nerves will come. Beyonce gets nervous. Everyone gets nervous. Sometimes you just have to understand that that's part of the experience. Yeah. And I think also what, what helps me, and I know often is very helpful for the people with whom I work is having, you know, a com- figuring out what it is you want to accomplish. And I mean like a single vision, like a single thing. So for example, for me, it usually is, I really want to make a difference for these people. You know, mm-hmm. I really want to leave them with something that really helps them in some way that, for example, this, this last summit you and I spoke at uh, together, that was, that was it for me. I was like, these people are here. I'm, I'm meant to talk about communication and leadership and, you know, I want them to c- come out of it going, that was so helpful. That really helped me further my goal. And so if I hang on to that kind of really just focus my attention on that future, that kind of 
thing in the distance, I'm looking at that North Star, then whether I kind of, to your point, <laughs> the front back, if I get messed up or I'm going to, <laughs> um, I usually am okay. And part of what makes me be okay in those situations, because of course that's happened to me too, is because my commitment is, for example, I really want to make a difference. That means sometimes I'll stop and be like, hey guys, I, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Or sometimes I've gone up on stage and honest to goodness said, hey, I just wanted to take a minute and really look at each of you because I'm feeling kind of nervous. And yes. I just, before I start, I just want to kind of settle my nerves down. Do you guys all get nervous? And I find that when you're willing to be that vulnerable, and here's the big one, genuine, it really does, it just knocks down that barrier between performer and, and you know audience, and it makes it just human to human. So I think finding that North Star can be really helpful because when the noise, when, you know, the mind's going crazy and the noise is happening and all this new environment, you just hold on to that one thing and it, and it guides you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting that you say that because one of the things people always ask me, and even at the summit, people ask me, how do you not get nervous? And I said, you know, it's okay <laughs> to just admit that you're nervous to the audience. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or if you mess up, you know, cause I, I've been in situations where I've observed speakers, you know, get nervous or you watch acceptance speeches. I watch so many speeches and I get ner I, I I'm I'm a nerd, so I'll be studying stand-up comics <laughs> for fun for fun or acceptance speeches. And I'll be looking at cadence and what's connecting. But you see some people say, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And the audience starts to clap, clap as to cheer them on. And people always forget that people are, you know, they like the fact that you're showing them that you're there. Uh, and on stage sometimes if you notice, and sometimes in my talks, I'm always, you're, you're right, you always have to have the end goal in mind, but I'm always looking for moments to relate to the audience. So if it's if it's an analogy I'm going to bring, or if someone says they're from a per, uh, particular state, which is the idea of what you're saying, listen, while being on stage, exactly. you can switch the examples and just yeah. further double down on, on that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's the art of listening. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, when you, I remember Missy, and I were chatting and she said something about how you're a big fan of Oprah. And uh -huh. I, I got in our thinking that we were going to talk today. I started thinking about that, but now that, so now what you just said made me remember her and, and, and remember some of the people who I think are great quote unquote speakers. And when I look at my favorites, for example, Oprah, or I, I think Eckhart Tolle is a phenomenal speaker, or I think Elon Musk, when he gets up and talks, I just, I just lean in. Right. But if you study them, or Jimmy Carter is another one of mine, anytime he talks, those are mine, okay? But yeah. anytime, even the ones who are what you'd call objectively louder or bigger, right? Like a Ben Greenfield, you know, whomever. When I kind of look at them or study them, what I'm always amazed by is how they're just being real. They're not, um, to me, it occurs. I don't know how it occurs to them, but they're not performing. They're just relating. They're just being with you. And so it's sort of ironic that m many of us try to bring the tools or the skills of how do I speak? And we usually are never as effective when we do that as we are if we're like, okay, what do I want to bring? I'm going to be real, authentic. Yeah. I just want to share. I want to connect. And then the result though is you're a great speaker. That's that's exactly spot on. And I, I think when I shared the idea of me needing to sound like or be like someone, which is a personal journey I had to go to, uh, I became more confident because for me, it's, it's just a conversation. And, we, we, you know, if I'm going on stage and I'm short and impressed with time, uh, just like, OK, I need the stories to I need to get the stories and I know why I'm saying these stories and go there. Or I, I can act differently on stage when you when you and I when you saw me on stage and I was with Tom and Tom was talking, I, I had moments where I was just being goofy on stage or interacting. I didn't plan any of those moments, I was, but I was I was feeding up the energy. And I just find that if you just naturally be yourself, especially because you're passionate about a topic, people will feed up the fact that you're passionate about that particular topic. Uh, and, and, and it's, uh, and it's something people remember because when people would now wait for you in line, they'd be like, Hey, you know, when you brought up this thing about such and such, I thought I was the only one. And when the question in Q and A happened, there were a few people from West Africa and from Nigeria who somehow related to something that I didn't realize they were relating to, but I just, you're like, Oh, that's, you know, the same sort of thing. And so it's very, very, very important for you to just be vulnerable because people will find their stories in what you're saying. Yeah. Huh. You know, you said something else too about, um, you know, how preparation is so important and how for you, the times you've been most nervous is, are when you're not prepared. And so that's one thing I think is really important. And I'd love to share with your listeners that I've found to be very true is that 
many times, whether we're speaking or any anything in our lives that we um, do professionally or even personally, when we get nervous, oftentimes a huge part of it is because we have not prepared adequately. And so the solution is simple, right? Prepare, prepare, mm-hmm. prepare, prepare. But nine times out of 10, most of us don't. And so for me, what that reveals is that it, as long as you're fully prepared, it means that you can't use not being prepared as an excuse if you fail. So that's something I tell all my clients. It's like when they say things like, oh, I like to procrastinate. And I do that too. We all, you know, we're all human. But I really encourage them to take a look at whatever it is you're going to do, whether you're a speaker, an architect, I don't care, a doctor, I don't, whatever it is that you do, when you feel the tug to not be fully prepared, consider that it's really just wanting to have that out in case I don't do a good job, in case they don't call me for that date, in case I don't get that opportunity, in case something doesn't work out. I don't have anything to blame it on if I'm fully prepared. And so that, that it's, it just, it's, it's the risk. It's the risk of life, but with risk comes reward. And so I think being fully prepared to the best of your ability means yes, that if you fail, you fail and you own it all. But it means also that when you're successful and when you, when you're present and you're there, it's one, it's almost impossible to fail if that's the case. But two, if if you don't do as well as you wanted, you're able to learn from it and move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Failure doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Nelson Mandela said, I never, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. saying that actually, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I never win or lose, um, I, you know, I, you know I, I, don't, I never lose, I only win or learn. And then the, the idea of understanding that when you fail, it's your ego to suffer, it's not actually you. It's, it's just a very interesting yeah. thing to remember because, you know, the greatest people that we know have failed, whether it's across sports, business, music, and they have failure stories for days. And oftentimes, ironically, that those are the things they remember. Other people remember it. You hit the game winner. And, you know, my <laughs> Jordan remember I missed 20 shots or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all those, yeah, those type of things. Um, that's interesting. Okay. So we've been talking about the performance lens and, and, and all those wonderful ways to use your voice. I want to turn uh, the, uh, the lens backwards and think about you maybe you your counselor hat on here. How do you make people feel heard? I feel like we have a lot of people that are feeling invisible in today's world. So how do we make people feel heard? So again, I'm gonna. I should just hit like the play button and record it. But like that's a very good question. So that's, <laughs> Thank that's you. A very broad question. So I'm gonna try to answer it. Um, Brought globally, broadly, but please feel free to be more specific. If oh, I'm yeah. not- I'll drill down. I'll drill down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I mean, I think to 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 answer your question most plainly, um, but profoundly, I think the answer is we have to listen more. We, I'm generalizing, of course, but as a society and as human beings in our society, we do not listen to each other, and therefore we don't hear each other. And there, I I think there's a distinction between the two. There's there's listening, which is you know, listening to the words that come out of someone's mouth, but hearing, I, I, I sort of distinguish is really being aware of not only what the person's saying, but their intention underneath it. And so that takes a lot of attention and focus that takes, that takes something to listen to and hear other people. And part of what's in the hearing because listening is like you say, hi, my name is Tayo. How are you doing? I'm listening to you. But to hear you, I have to, in order to take in new information, you know, I always, I said in one of my books, you, you can't catch something new if you have a beach ball in your hands. You've got to put the beach ball down if you want to catch something else somebody's going to throw at you. And similarly, I have to continually empty out myself, my preconceived notions, my ideas, my, all the stuff, if I really want to hear you. So I think um, when it comes to acknowledging people, like you said, in our society today, who either aren't acknowledged and or don't feel acknowledged, right? Because there's a distinction between those two. um, I think it it requires of each of us to say, I really want to make a commitment to listening and doing everything it takes to hear what people have to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's an interesting way you phrased hearing and listening because I've heard it the other way as well, where they say, "No, I'm hearing you, but you're not listening," and <laughs> and and you said it the opposite. So I think it just speaks to the the idea that both need to be done in tandem. 
and I had a, I had a guest on a couple episodes ago. He was talking about deep listening, and he was saying that this is even bigger than um, active listening. And he mentioned what you're saying. We need to empty the clutter. He mm-hmm. said we have it in our head, and every one of us has preconceived notions. We have a bias. We have everything that we maybe consciously or unconsciously are aware of. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But we also have these triggers <laughs> that, that we don't have. And, and please correct me if you think I'm, I'm wrong, but I, I've found that we are living in an interesting time where many people are have un, unresolved traumas, you know, that they, they haven't addressed. And we've sort of made trauma culture. And what's happened is we're just reacting off of, you know, several things. And we get triggered by almost everything. Someone doesn't like your idea, it's an attack against you. Yeah. Or someone, someone said something, it reminds you of something maybe you didn't even process as a kid. And then you overreact and you feel justified because you don't want to look dumb. And that person is like, well, I'm now thinking all of you are the same. And then it's just all these triggers and we don't resolve all our traumatic experiences. And for some, when we have a culture where what's considered brave and 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 masculine or feminine is 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 defined, <laughs> uh, people feel like, well, there's no place for me, so I need to suppress that. And then we're suppressing parts of ourselves. All this weird cycle of continuous suppression of self in order to be quote unquote accepted, mm-hmm. but we still lose ourselves. Yeah. 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 And you know, I think where I see that the most, of course, you see it everywhere in quote unquote real life. But you know, I'm not a huge Twitter person, but man, every time I go on Twitter and I think, oh, let me just see what's going on. I just am kind of jaw dropped. I'm like, for real? You talk about triggers. It's like, <laughs> I feel like. Is that your trigger, Jennifer? <laughs> I'm triggered right now. No, but I'm, I'm, all, I'm always amazed that people there and and in everywhere right we yeah. seem to your point to be much more interested in being right and defending ourselves than what works and that there's a huge difference to get to what works you have to be willing to relinquish being right you know being the best looking good making someone wrong and it's so difficult because it's like the water we swim in you know it's like the air like to the bird water to the fish kind of thing um, but in my life and, you know, as someone who's been married for 10 years and, and has a family, I can't speak for everyone, but I'll tell you, if you're interested in being right in a marriage or in any relationship, it's not going to go so well. And the problem, if, if I can just go on a little bit about this, um, I think most people think when you give up wanting to be right and wanting to be fair, that the, the only alternative is losing and um quieting your voice, like what you said, kind of like stifling yourself. And it's not true at all. If you relinquish, in my experience, like the need to be right, what's available is anything. Because you're not defending yourself, you know, you're, you're just present. And so that takes some practice. And it's really, and I do think that um, when you when we live in the world in a culture of, of right, wrong, right, wrong, it's, it's, kind of awkward at first when you're standing there like, I don't need to be right. I'm not trying to make you wrong. But I do, I have found that that's the only way to have truly extraordinary relationships and any kind of real power in them and in the world. Relinquishing you need to be right. And you are right. uh, Speaking of right. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. I I, I can't let easy (laughs) jokes just die. (laughs) It's right. Right there. Uh, But we live in this binary world that, you know, right, wrong, right, wrong. And 
Yeah, I've noticed that even in my relationship, it's uh, even, especially when you have two stubborn people, uh, <laughs> and 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 the egos are there. Like, yeah. nope, I'm right. And I sometimes I've noticed in, within myself, which is so ironic, because I'm helping people in cross culture elements, and I'm you know usually good at not getting you know, into um, cultural faux pas of that. But sometimes in personal relationships, I've noticed where I'll be. No, nah, I know I'm right. And you're telling me I'm wrong, and this needs to be the way it is. And I just forget what you're saying. I just, okay, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to, you don't need to be right, because then in that process, you're almost dismissing the other person sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you're touching on something important. You're reminding me of uh, something a friend of mine once said. A long time ago, before I met my husband, he said, when you're when you're looking for a relationship, you want to have three things. You you want to be able to say to the other person and for them to say to you, <clears throat> I love you. I always want what's best for you. And I will never do anything to deliberately hurt you. And if you can say that as a commitment and and if you and the other person, you can say it to you then you're safe. And if you, you can feel the safety kind of wash over you. Uh-huh. Now, that doesn't mean someone's not going to hurt you or say right. things that aren't going to piss you off or, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? But what it means is if you know in your bones that someone's got your back, then you can fight fair. You can disagree and not get crazy about it. So to your point about you and your partner, you know, or I can use my marriage with John. If John and I disagree about something, it's you have two options, right? You can either get to, well, you're wrong and I'm right, to use your your words. Um, or you can get to, huh, isn't that interesting? You can get curious about it and go, well, we're two smart people and we're sharing a life together and we're sharing an experience together. What, what do you know that I don't? Let's figure it out. Let's, what, what, you know, not that the goal has to be, we have to agree, but you're wise and I love you and I trust you. What, what's going on? Tell me more. Let me listen to and hear you. Let me put down that proverbial ball that I'm holding of what I know to be true. And let me just get in your world. Even if I'm not agreeing with you, Tayo, I just think it's a real gift to get into someone's world. And I know I'm not trying to get political here, but I'll give you an example. I I am on the more liberal side and I have some very on the conservative side friends. And I actually really enjoy, you know, we, we are able to talk about politics in a way that's, you know, enjoyable as much as it can be. And what I really am interested in is I really listen to them and and hear them. And I just, I'm like, okay, that's so interesting. Let me understand where they're coming from. And so much is available, even if you don't agree, when you take that on. And certainly when it comes to relationships, marriages, uh, you know, people with whom you're working and partnering and companies and, and beyond, um, it's it's power. It is. It is. And that's 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 the the crux of what it is with you know I when I'm what it is that happens when I work with diversity and inclusion or people from different uh backgrounds. It's I you notice all these subcultures that exist. You know, sometimes in the workplace it's generations, it's a sales team versus marketing team versus tech team, it's gender, it's you know, people of different orientations, people of different mm-hmm. uh, resource groups. And and if you go to any part of of the world, it's always something. And um, and I like you. I'm on the liberal side, but I do have conservative friends who I'm able to have dialogue with. And one of the things that always ends up happening after that is like, oh wow, we actually we didn't kill each other because <laughs> <laughs> they're always they're surprised. They're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, that that went well. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Or I'll be facilitating something, a workshop, and. People always try to do this. Hey, it's confidential, right? Okay, no one's gonna know this, right? Because they're trying to protect themselves, and they know what happens. And if you extrapolate that to a Twitter, for example, where you have this cancel culture movement, sometimes you know yeah. people feel, I guess, they fear being judged before they actually get a chance to, you know, be felt or even experienced. And so they're like, well, I just, I don't, you know, I don't want to do anything <laughs> or, or risking that. Um, yeah, and yeah. yet, and yet, if, if I can jump in there. And yet, if we listen more deeply or hear more deeply, right, whichever word, you know, for, for whomever is listening connotes the deeper, you know, listening or hearing, 
if we listen to that cancel culture, if we listen, if we take on what we're talking about and really listen and hear what people are saying, what they're saying, I, I think what I'm hearing is I'm angry. I'm afraid. I feel like I haven't had a shot. I'm afraid you're not going to give me a shot. I want, I want to shut you down because I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And so all of a sudden we, when we listen or hear deeply in that way, I do when, when I, when I take that on, usually, usually I find that where is, where there is anger, there's pain. When there is rage, there's fear. And so that gives us access to something in being able to connect with people instead of the, you know, getting affronted by and the anger and the rage and the rawr and the craziness, we can go, wow, that person seems to be, because again, we never want to make assumptions. That person seems to be really hurt. That person seems to be really afraid. That person's gone through something. I wonder what he or she has gone through. What, what has he or she gone? Let me listen to that. And then, as you know, the storytelling of what we've been through, something loosens every time we tell it. When we tell it from a cleaning the space kind of way. So I think that's part of the challenge in relationships or in your, you know, to the back to my, my Twitter trigger. Um, you know, I think that we, 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 we often respond to what people are saying rather than what they're saying. That you is know? amazing. I love that. And I've been taking notes, by the way, that's what I've been doing. Here. <laughs> uh, I, I just want to share the notes because, uh, you know, I think you're dropping some amazing gems here. And you said, a friend of yours said, you should say these things to each other daily. And I believe it'll help with arguments. So I love you. I always, I always want what's best for you. And I will never do anything to deliberately hurt you. Right. And then you said, this is even deeper to me where there's anger, there's pain, where there's rage, there's fear. I don't think I've ever heard it that way before. And, and it's, it's so true. I, I think a lot of people are in the process of not wanting to get hurt, end up hurting each other. And there's that cliche saying hurt people, hurt people, but it's not, this is deeper where, where you're actually saying a lot of times we're in a self-preservation mode and we're just unconsciously just hurting each other. And we sometimes we feel justified um, and it, it ends up hurting us uh, in terms of connection. So, um, yeah. Well, you talked about the binary world a little while ago. And one thing when you, when you just read that back to me that, that came up that I remembered uh, is that I um, I am a huge fan of Buddhism and I read the Tao Te Ching not daily but often and for for those of you who might not be familiar with those philosophies and, and writing basically it talks about duality as essentially problematic so to your point about feedback earlier you said something about you know if you kind of bomb or if you do well that to be present and have a great life these philosophies propose it's to to stand in the middle of the good and bad and the right and wrong so for example if you get a great review and you want to react to it then you better be willing to react to the negative review exactly instead if you can just be with either um, if you can sort of take the yin and the yang of both and not be affected by either that that's that's the way to stand in the world they say and of course i'm i'm paraphrasing but and I think there's wisdom in that. I um, <laughs> when I was a baby, my first word was trees, and it's <laughs> trees. That doesn't trees. even sound easy to say. <laughs> the chagrin of my mom and dad, but it's interesting because I do have this love affair with trees and nature, and I, I'm looking out my window right now at a huge tree, and I've often been struck by the metaphor of a tree in my life. This rooted, grounded, unmovable, yet you know, flowing with life thing that can withstand anything and never loses its, its integrity, you know? And I think that's a a really apt metaphor for um, the human ambition. Um, You know, the tree's not going like, you know, cloud, get out of my way. Or, I mean, don't let me try to come up with some silly thing here, but you know what I'm saying? Right. I I think that there's, there is strength in being unmovable in the sense of a tree, as opposed to unmovable in our opinions and, you know, rightness and rage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's amazing. I, I love metaphors and analogies, uh, particularly <laughs> whether they have to do with seeds or trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but, yeah. No. <laughs> I, and I, I don't know if you do this, but I've noticed that I, I try to find 
connecting tissues with maybe sometimes abstract facts. You know, that's what I, you just like you do with trees. I, I look at different things that different concepts that could correlate in different industries. You know, what it, you know, sometimes I'll say I'm watching stand up comedy and I'm watching an acceptance speech and it, it has nothing to do with my seemingly it has nothing to do with what I do as, as a you know, speaker or coach. But I'm just looking for ways people are connecting. And with you, you know, saying that immovable object, I, I just thought it was beautiful how you connected that because um, I do really feel like at our core, we want to be heard and understood for who we are. Like, you know, that's just, I think that's just any human, anyone. And from the rich to the poor, you know, from me being Nigerian to, you know, you being American, it's the idea of, hey, this is who I am and it's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, I think somewhere along the line, we as we grow older, certain things become okay and then become more popular or institutionalized and then it becomes, well, am I not enough? And then blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, huh. that, that's an interesting dance. I mean, that's like a like a 10-hour podcast right there, right? Because I it think is. on the one hand, in my experience, you know, having been on the planet for 45 years and the little I've learned in that time, right? But um I think on the one hand, to your point, I think people do want to be seen. And I think fundamentally, most fundamentally, people want to be acknowledged. Ah. So I think we go on this search for acknowledgement. And yet, in my experience, as I continue to grow and learn, I'm always amazed by how that once that happens, once you feel acknowledged from others or more importantly, from yourself, that it, it becomes no longer necessary. And so I think at least where I stand today and what I've learned, that that's the goal is to not need the acknowledgement because you're just so comfortable in, yes, in who you are, but also in the who you are of just being a human being, right? So back to my tree thing and stop me if I'm talking about (laughs) trees. No, keep keep the trees. (laughs) It's like, I'm a tree and that's enough. Yeah. I'll tell, can I tell you a, a funny thing? Uh, you, you mentioned analogy and metaphor, and you just opened the floodgates because as all my clients will tell you, I'm obnoxious with analogies. I mean, they'll literally be like, please stop. So here we go. My, uh, <laughs> my dear friend um, once said to me, you know, when you're in your 20s, you write your, your PhD, uh, you know, on the, the green apple and how it evolves, you know, from this, this you know, something that's like 800 page whatever, right? But then when you get to be a little older, you realize that, that the PhD of life, you know, the, the thesis of life, mm-hmm. it's just love. Yeah. That so is the, the, the more complicated things, you know, when you're younger and this isn't, this isn't ageism here, this is just experience, I think. And sometimes young people get it quick and sometimes old people don't get it. But I think the complicated things are really simple. And, uh, I think being comfortable, learning to be comfortable in your own skin is just learning to be, and learning how to be with people and be effective with people is learning to love and let love in. And uh, yeah, I think all things become simple if you let them. That's, that's, you know, and that's, I, I love the dance you brought up, you know, to be seen, heard and understood for who you really are uh, also requires some level of understanding that y- you do have to feel enough and accept who you are. Uh, Cause sometimes I think people in that quest seek external acceptance without working on internal acceptance and when you don't do both uh, when you don't actually start off internally you, it, it's very shaky foundation because then it becomes externally motivated i think that's the difference with joy and happiness so my name akintayo means a warrior's brother's joy right and it it has me fascinated with the concept of joy and as as i was studying joy joy is a lot it's very internal it's really be the idea of being happy or comfortable with who you are and a lot of what happiness is is it's it's fleeting right people think happiness is a destination uh like if i do this i will be happy and they forget that it's an emotion and it just comes and it goes and so i think we've confused happiness with joy and Mm -hmm. same thing with acceptance is we just have to get to the point where hey it doesn't matter if i get a good or bad review I wrote a book and that's their interpretation of it. I'm good. You don't see me this way, but I accept myself this way. So I'm going to be this way. It might be too much for you, but maybe someone else will like that. And that type of dialogue, or I didn't get this audition, but maybe the next audition, or you know what? 
I I'm singing, I'm doing what I love, and that's more important to me right now. So yeah. that form of uh, internal acceptance is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet again, you've hit on a couple things that I'm like, ping, ping. I want to say something about that. So the, the first one, yeah, I think that something you touched upon um, with having that intrinsic, extrinsic sense of, of, of self-knowing and, um, and acknowledgement. I mean, that's a huge part of my work in my writing is many singers, not all, but many singers, myself included for many years, you know, you, you grow up and you discover yourself as a singer and you're like, Ooh, that's, that's something good. I'm getting something good from that. You know, there are, people are happy when I sing or people stop fighting when I sing or whatever it may be. And your self-worth for many singers, many artists, creative people get tied up with that. And then while that works for a while, there's, it's all, it's always really like an anchor on you. So it, it that is, I think the work is untethering our sense of self from whatever it is that we've put on it, you know, like I'm not fantastic because I'm a singer. I'm fantastic because I'm a human being. And I'm here and breathing in and out, you know, and that that is hard. I think particularly in the West, we, we're a very individualistic society. There's not the sense of I am a part of my family. It's like I am, and I need to win. I am. I need to succeed. So that that's that's a huge challenge. I think that I see in people in my work is helping them understand that who they are is who they are. It's not what they do. It's not what they think makes them special. They're special by being. Yeah. You say, and you said, I'm hitting on a few things. You're hitting on a few things for me as well. <laughs> that, that who you are, what you do matrix. And I guess that makes sense for a lot of performers. A lot of performers seem like they have it together. And, and a lot of us as viewers put that on them too. And then that pressure becomes uh, something that maybe is unbearable when you haven't done the inner work. And you hear all these horrible stories of, you know, people doing stuff to themselves or taking their lives away. And I've always been interested in that, that paradigm, the, what you do and who you are. Because uh, some people will say, well, who, what I do is who I am. You're saying you need to separate that because it can become, you can work for a little bit, mm -hmm. but then it can become detrimental to your health. Well, let me be clear on two things. One, to each his own and everyone has their own experience. Right. Two, I do, to your point about, you know, uh, separating out self from our passion. I do know people who say, um, you know, what I do is who I am. And I think the people that have joy in it, it's, it's who they are in the sense, like we talked earlier in this conversation about like that guiding principle, mm. who I am is a great public speaker, not because that makes me special, but because that brings me joy and meaning. And that's a, you know, where it's, some, you could say semantics, but for me, it's a, it's two different worlds. You know, if who I am is a singer, meaning if I don't sing well one day, I'm having a panic attack. That's different than who I am as a singer, because I've chosen to imbue this, who I am just choosing to bring that to the world as a contribution. And then in the afterglow of that effect, I, I discover myself. I know who I am. Wow. Yeah, I think I think those are two different worlds. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And you, you helped me reframe that because I, I, I think I, I probably leaned more towards, you know, the passion and, and, and that as well, because a lot of the things I've discovered and I've, you know, I, I mean, I go to therapy and I do all these things is I have started to unpack a lot of childhood trauma that I didn't realize I had. And it, it's because I was I thought that that was fine. You know, I, you know, you grow up being individual individualistic. I grew up being individualistic in a collectivist culture because Nigeria is collectivist. But when your dad, my dad is a diplomat. He traveled five countries, four continents. I'm the oldest of three boys. You have this expectations. So I just sort of took on this caretaker role and I accepted it. I was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't need anything for myself and all these things. Mm -hmm. But, and then I got used to the idea of, you know, uh, being the one that's taking care of people where, I would suppress feelings for myself. Like, I don't need it. I don't need to celebrate my birthday. I don't need any of these things. I don't necessarily accept compliments well. And you probably even noticed that a little bit. But, um, <laughs> and I, I started doing all these things where I was deflecting. And to me, I thought not being egotistical, I'm just being uh, someone that's focused on the mission. But as I was digging deeper, I realized it's, you know, I don't know. I got afraid of getting disappointed and rejected because I got so used to that. So I insulated myself and protected myself and said, well, 
I don't need to feel like uh, someone needs to do anything for me, so I don't have to give anyone that power. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so what is the, the, what you deal with discrimination or what you deal with something, that idea of feeling self-sufficient became much more important to me than the idea of allowing someone to just be into my, in, you know, into my, my world. And it can't be selfish because if I'm the one giving <laughs> and I'm the one always writing, people are coming to me, why am I not able to just receive it as well and give someone the same chance for me to do the same thing I do for others. And that's something that I've been working on uh, uh, recently as I've been reflecting. Because I didn't think so. I just thought I was just a given person. <laughs> but yeah. then I was like, you can be selfish by being a given person mm-hmm. if you're not careful. So, yeah. But let's, but you know, we were saying before about how when you, when you listen beyond the words people are saying and to the motivation underneath, like, you know, you can be selfish, but you, you don't strike me at all as a selfish person. You might be someone who acts selfishly from time to time, but why? To your point, because you felt, you feel like in some way that you're such a giver that if you don't take time to really care for and nurture yourself, you're not going to get what you need. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not, yeah, you're right. It's not even, I'm not even saying selfish in that way. I'm saying I became, so my, to your, to do the matrix where you're saying what you're doing, who you are, my biggest goal is to inspire the next set of global leaders and ensure that no one feels the way I felt as a mm-hmm. kid, which is alone. And in that process, I give, I give so much of my time and all that. And um, at the expense of myself, a lot of times. And what I mean by selfish, I'm saying selfish to myself where I don't feel like I deserve. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, so I, I'm the, the opposite. And so when someone is reaching out, for example, if they've noticed something, it's like, nah, I'm good. What are you talking about? It's, this is the mission is the other thing. And so that's what I, maybe selfish is the wrong word, but I just noticed that within myself. And I didn't think anything because I said, I can take it. It's not a big deal. All I need to do is exist and go do work and people need it. But I wasn't necessarily thinking I need, needed to fill myself up because I told myself, well, you don't need to be filled up. You're already done. Everybody else needs you. And so it's just a weird thing that I'm learning, I guess, recently. <laughs> yeah, but you know, what's, what's great about you is that you, you're willing to share your journey with people. I mean, here we are having this conversation, you and me, right? But, you know, yeah. it's something that's going to be shared with a lot of people. And whether it's in this type of in a podcast or a conversation on stage, I think that that sharing and that vulnerability is is really what makes us great. And by great, I mean just present and available. And um, with, our, with opening ourselves to others and others being able to to access us. Wow. Uh, so you're you're doing the good work, my friend. Uh, you're-, well, <laughs> you're far too kind. Well, thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay, I didn't even realize it's we're almost on with with uh, we're almost done with our time here. So I want the audience to have more access to you. And how can they get in touch with you? How can they find out more of your work? How can they reach out to you if they have more questions? Oh, that's kind. Well, my website is uh, findingyourvoice.com. And mm-hmm. can you can email me information about my books and my practice and my articles are all there. So yeah, just go to findingyourvoice.com and, and send me a note. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll make sure I put that in the show notes, but I'm serious, ladies and gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, if you are just curious about different ways to untap or unlock certain things about yourself, as you can see with the conversation with Jennifer, as, as you witnessed what was happening within me was I was just randomly pulling out things for myself. That's the type of experience you have if you, um, you know, engage with her work. So I definitely encourage you to check out everything that she puts out as you will discover a, a new form of expression. So make sure you put that in the show notes. Before you go, though, I have a, a final question. I ask all my guests this question. And it's just simply my mission statement reframed as a question. So, okay. Jennifer, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Can I say again, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, how do, that, that is a great question. I think... I, I try to use my unique experience in my work specifically about having, for lack of a better term, lost my voice, mm. help people find theirs or rediscover theirs. So I take, yeah, the, the lessons that I've learned, the pain that I've been through, the, the tough times, I think has really gifted me empathy and compassion that I definitely did not have before. And I bring that to my work with people who, who want so desperately to, 
to have a joyous life and a joy-filled sense of self-expression. That's it's amazing. You know, from personal experience, you're, you've turned your pain into something that's meaningful for not just yourself, but for the world. So I thank you for that. And thank you for spending this much time with us. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate that. No, it was a, truly, it was a wonderful time. I'm grateful. Well, uh, well the pleasure is mine. And ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.